America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. We're all stuck in a frozen wasteland, and I'm the only one with a flamethrower. So I'll be testing our blood as we talk John Carpenter's The Thing this week. On Zach on film. I don't know why I was I doing call that voice. Wilford Brimley. That was weird. <laughs> You're doing Wilford Brimley's voice. I don't know what I was doing. I was just talking like uh, like a guy that would actually have a flamethrower on his Di- back. Diabetes. I guess. <laughs> Diabetes. 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 Uh, I struck my wife. I'm not even married. No, Wilford Brimley, man. God love him. Rest in peace, Wilford. So the thing... A couple of reasons why I want to approach the thing, Zach, and that's a movie why I think you should watch. First of all, what would you think of it? I thought it was terrifying that um, they sometimes describe comedies as laugh a minute. Mm -hmm. I describe this as a nightmare a minute, Mm -hmm. and I won't sleep tonight. Really? No, I probably will. But it was pretty terrifying. The first time time I watched this, (laughs) silly story. You peed your pants. No, no, no. I didn't pee my pants. Come on. Change (laughs) the story so you pee your pants. Okay, but it does involve poop. Oh, even better. Okay. So oh, gross. I, I know, <laughs> and here's how it's gross. So I was tasked with babysitting my young nieces and nephews one night while my aunts and uncles and parents went out to go do whatever. This doesn't end well. And the thing was on just regular broadcast television, like Channel 41. Mm-hmm. And the broadcast version of the movie plays an important discussion here later in, in our major discussion. Um, but it gets to the part where um, where the dogs – are being transformed in the in the kennel, you know, Whoa. the thing is coming out. It's like the first God. real disgusting, scary scene. Yeah. And I was so freaked out. <laughs> I would rather pay attention to the poopy diaper that I was changing so I wouldn't have to look at the horror that was Great. on the screen. I'd rather look at the horror that was in that kid's diaper. You held up the small child and said, look at this <laughs> while I look at your poopy butt. <laughs> they didn't know what was going on. Uh, well, well, I would rather deal with the did. horror that is inside a poopy diaper than... <laughs> Then look at that scary move because it is terrifying. I mean, it's yeah, designed to be terrifying. Like mm-hmm. Do you, I mean, were you terrified, Matthew, or is this and and, and Rodrigo same question, or was this just the fact uh, the case of eh, these effects look old? Oh, I never do that. I was scared to death in this movie, and when I saw it the first time, I saw it in one of those ridiculous sort of moments where it's like, hey, I should totally not be watching this because I'm 14. Oh God, I'm never going to sleep again. Rodrigo. Oh, okay. Um, sorry, I was looking at something. Um, the yeah, I wasn't okay. So when I first watched the thing, I wasn't scared. I was like, "Wow, look at that cool monster! Wow, mm. look at that cool thing where a guy's head comes off yeah, yeah, and yeah. then like Sprouts eyeballs pop out and, and then like spider around. legs. It's just it's brilliant. It's so great. Like, oh, yeah, it's yeah. just." Um, and there's, there's something that's really 
spectacular about this and what the um the aesthetics of this movie are super gross which is both a good and a bad thing the the it's it's good because it gives you that very guttural feel but it's bad because i think it that grossness makes people turn away mm-hmm. and not really appreciate mm-hmm. like just the astounding artistry oh, yeah, of yeah. it yeah. no i agree with you completely you know and i've told this story before about how when i was younger i was i could not watch horror movies and certainly this moment with the thing was one of those that had cemented of I don't need to be watching horror movies because this stuff's going to creep me out, mm-hmm. especially when we have dogs that look like the dogs that were being, <laughs> you know, burst open and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, years later, after I'd kind of overcome my fear of horror movies, this was probably like uh, 2021, something like that. That's when I did sit down. I said, you know what? I'm watching this movie, The Thing Again, and I'm not turning away. And that is when I dis- discovered the aesthetics of the grotesque and how you can appreciate things that are truly horrifying Especially with all the craft that goes into creating those uh, – the creatures, mm-hmm. uh, which is, is is cool. But I agree with you. If people are looking away in, the, in many of these cases, they're missing out on some great moments in the film. So uh, give us a rundown, Zach, of, of this story. All right. So the thing kind of goes like this. Team of scientists are in Antarctica uh, studying uh, – God knows what. Antarctica. I don't think they're doing anything. Just looking at ice a lot. Just playing ping pong. Science. Um, these Norwegians start flying this helicopter trying to shoot a dog, which seems pretty horrible. And I feel like Norwegians should be ashamed of themselves for a little bit. Because why would they need to be shooting this dog? Um, then we find out uh, these Norwegians probably had a, a right to try to kill this dog. Because lo and behold, a spacecraft landed in Antarctica some hundreds of thousands of years ago and they discovered it and now they've released the horror that is inside and this alien uh, replicates cells in the hosts and creates a new thing so it the monster is walking amongst us so they realize this uh, all the people in the crew start going crazy start pointing fingers start pointing flamethrowers and revolvers people die a lot of explosions a <laughs> lot of uh, disgusting like tentacles wrapping around people's arms, a mm-hmm. spider becomes uh, a head becomes a spider, and um, yep. mostly Giant everyone dies. At the end. Well, most everyone dies, or everyone dies, and that's uh, where we get to yeah, a very sure. uh, ambiguous ending of this. So, in the version that we're watching, the version that's on iTunes, um, Kurt Russell, one of my favorite actors of all time, especially you know '80s Kurt Russell. Sure. Um, this is the first time that he was in a John Carpenter movie. The next time that he's in the John Carpenter movie is Big Trouble in Little China. Um, but Kurt Russell is our hero character. Mm-hmm. And then he is um, he and um, Keith David, Keith David, who many of you remember from the movie They Live, another awesome movie that came out around the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you yeah, cripple fight, man, if you ever if you know that from from South Park, that's a. That's a that's a they live reference. Oh, they right live there. reference. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> well, what's great about the South that's Park thing awful. is they do it almost, you know, shot for shot, frame for frame, move shot for, for move shot. of uh, they live. But so in the end, you've got uh, Keith David and Kurt Russell in this burned out, burning research station, thinking that they've killed the creature, and then they're like, "Well, it's going to be warm for a little bit longer, and then it's going to get cold." Yep. Why don't we just sit here? And then the movie yeah. fades out. 
And we're kind of left with Drink, drinking scotch. What happens? Mm-hmm. So my interpretation of that is everybody dies. Right. And that would fit with the very, uh, what is it, nihilistic, uh, every, you know, there's no point in living kind of scenario in this where let's just destroy everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it aligns with, with that vision of, of the film where it's just destruction, destruction, destruction. Everybody dies. You know, thinking about it, if they wanted to be sh- – because they both assume at this point that they're probably not a host. Well, you think, we, yeah. you think they're, they're both assuming the other one's not a host. Right. They don't really know for sure because uh, what's-his-face was gone mm-hmm. while Kurt Russell was destroying giant worm monster. Right. Uh, so he could have he could have been transformed somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they really wanted to protect the world, because we they know through um, a great computer program that they somehow designed in the middle <laughs> of all this, that uh, the whole world is going to be destroyed if this thing gets gets loose. Right. Why didn't they just kill each other? If their entire they goal was they were the going to freeze to death. Right. But what if the one that was the host outlasted the human? That thing dies. Host thing goes on to live and destroy the world. Well, I think they destroy the, each other at the same time. Yeah, well, I think one of the reasons why that you know we had the whole um, Kurt Russell throwing the dynamite to blow up the main creature mm-hmm. uh, was to say that we can't let this thing go back and refreeze in the ice like it did you know a hundred thousand years ago when the spaceship crashed yeah. because then people are going to come down here and thaw it out just like we did and it's going to start the whole chain over and next time it's not going to be pretty probably. But I think this notion that, but, you know, that we're not getting out of this, the signal never got to any of the other research stations or anybody else. The character of Windows wasn't able to get it out before Wilford Brimley goes in uh, uh, loco crazy. <laughs> you do not you do not F with Wilford Brimley. All the diabetes, <laughs> I'm Brimley will all not this fight. Up. Alien, give me uh, he won't he won't fight <laughs> easy and when, he won't uh, fight for long but by God, while it's going on. When he slides that corner, when he takes out uh, Curly-haired man down in the basement before he goes all oh, super yeah, yeah, monster. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we just <laughs> never seen. Out. He just slides out and then grabs him he in the face. He pulls out his, his diabetes his tester, stabs him in the neck. <laughs> diabetes. So, did, did, so oh, let me ask you this because I, I know make that joke, you guys. So I'm going to ask Rodrigo uh, the question of: Did everybody die in the end? What What's your interpretation of how that movie ends? Well, my interpretation is that everybody died. I really, I think that um, thematically speaking, it makes sense um, because it is a horror movie and it's that kind of horror movie. You know, you like none of the characters get a lot of time and you don't find out a lot about them. The characters are just kind of these like chess pieces yeah. Between humans and monsters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, at the end, the humans win, but they're expendable. They're expendable mm-hmm. people. Yeah, the characters really um, So they die. They they just they didn't make it all the way. No helicopter is going to come rescue them and they're going to die. That's 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 how I read it. Um, not necessarily uh, because it's like, oh, well, if they survived, then maybe they could be carrying the monster because this movie is actually really terrible about its like science and even its own <laughs> internal pseudoscience is really yeah. terrible. Um, well, yeah. scary, scary intense, but really bad about the consistency. Right. Of it. 
So Zach actually I mean, did he, some research. He blew it up. Yeah, we saw him blow it up, but who knows? He could, somebody else could be infected um, with this. Well, that just made fifty little ones. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah exactly. All in the blood, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and no, in no, the no, frozen really tissue, make, none of it's stuff. really consistent. Now, Zach did some research on uh, what John Carpenter's interpretation of the end of this movie was. Yeah, and in, um, so there was a story of a guy asked John Carpenter while he was doing some interviews with him, like. Uh, after everyone was like, oh, the ambiguous ending, how does it end? And John Carpenter said, well, I don't really understand what's, uh, what everyone's confused about. It's clear to me that Kurt Russell lives because you can see him breathing in the last shot. And um, other man, I always Keith forget. David. Keith David. I don't know. remember what his character's name Keith is. Um, he isn't clearly isn't br- breathing, so he died. Mm. Which I read that. Still had time on my iTunes rental. Went back and watched just their conversation like 10 times. No idea what he's talking well, about. I, I guess in, in one instance, you know, Keith David puts his head back and closes his eyes. Yeah. And Kurt Russell still has his eyes open as you fade to black in that scene. Well, the the cut from Keith David is he takes a drink mm-hmm. half a second tops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go back to Kurt Russell. Yeah. And then they... Giant then they cut view to shot, Russell, of, and then they cut to a wide shot. A wide shot, and mm-hmm. it's just done. Mm-hmm. So, so it, I mean, I, I obviously, I still think in that interpretation, they both die. Now but he he says, "Oh, Keith David's dead on screen," which I don't really it, think. It's so. probably been about, uh, I want to say, maybe easily ten years since I watched this movie last. Mm-hmm. And Matthew and I remember a totally different ending to this. Matthew, yes, the version, the, the version that I remember seeing, and I. Let's talk about your I ending. I was talk crazy. about the ending you remember. I thought I thought I was crazy, Stephen, because when we were kids, this would show up on television, mm-hmm. and at the end we would see the thing, and then there would be a shot of the dog running away from the camp. Yeah, there was a there was a different ending to the film, and I did not realize that that was not the original ending. Yeah, because that seems to me, first of all, to make it even you know that meaner, you know, really rub in the thing and stick a cigarette in your skin, oh, yeah. outer limits that ending, where they went through all this horror. Twelve men are dead, and the monster definitely got away unscathed. So here's how here's why Matthew and I remember this with the dog ending. And I was watching the movie again the other night going, oh yeah, here comes the dog ending where we realize that it was all for naught and the creature's alive. Because in the television no broadcast, they had to edit it down for graphic violence. <laughs> they edited it down for language, which, you know, there I was mildly surpri- surprised and impressed that the the amount of uh, cursing in the movie is not as, as intense as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. There's only a couple of F bombs. Keith David goes on a little rant. Yeah. And then a couple of our guys are scared. But, yeah. you know, there's not like every other word is, oh, S no, word, oh, not F like, word. It's not or, like Wolf of Wall Street or anything. I haven't watched that one yet. Well, it's at a record. Did it really? Yeah, with F bombs. Okay, cool. So, in addition to editing it for content, they also switched out the ending to make it, as Matthew said, more yeah. of a uh, uh, outer limits situation where you see this dog running away from camp the next day and looking back and it's the same dog that we saw at the beginning movie and you're like oh snap and um, there was also i think a voiceover on that thing where he was doing the uh 16 days worth of computer programming on the apple IIe Mm -hmm. to to show how the cells were cells there was voiceover on that yeah yeah, there's a lot of voiceover in that i'm almost certain of that. no there was there was so 
Kind of like Blade Runner used to have a lot of voiceover in mm-hmm. now. Yeah, depending on which version that you're watching. So I think that you get a different experience depending on if you've read the director's commentary on how it ends, if you've seen it the way that right. it's currently available on iTunes, or if you saw a television broadcast version of this with the dog ending, with the mm-hmm. alien escaping ending. There's also apparently a uh, a true happy ending that was considered being shot where yeah. Kurt Russell mm-hmm. is rescued at the very end. And they're doing the blood test, proving that he's not the alien, and you know every everybody's good and happy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but apparently that was yeah. They shot it, and then uh, he hate Carpenter didn't like it, and yeah. So he cut it, and he cut cut it out. So which that um, would, I think that would have been a horrible ending too. That'd have been bad. Depends on you know when you talk about horror movies, Rodrigo. There are a couple of ways that you can approach the horror movie. One of them is everybody dies, right, including the bad uh-huh. guy. Then you've got. All the good guys die, but the bad guy comes out for that last minute jump at you. Mm-hmm. And then you've got one where the right. where um, uh, the the girl wins and gets away from Michael Myers. Only to die next summer. Yeah, yeah. So why – what what yeah. horror version uh, Rodrigo works best do you think? Uh, I, think they, I think they all work in their own way. I think that um, there are different themes that – horror movies can handle. Um, I think that, uh, for example, very personal horror movies where, you know, the main character is running away from a slasher, but you know a lot about her. Uh, She might even be related to the slasher, you know, that sort of thing. Um, You, that has a lot more room for the protagonist making it out alive, right? Because you are kind of invested in this character and their death is a big deal. But them coming out alive at the end is a big deal. And there have been enough horror movies that you don't always know if that character is going to live or not, which is nice. Um, I think in something like uh, The Thing or even Predator or something like that, you kind of don't expect everybody to make it. Um, and then it's surprising when they do. Um, I think... You know, depending on what the movie is trying to say and accomplish, you can have any of those endings. Or, for example, an ending in which suddenly uh, a hand comes out of a grave and you realize that that little part was a dream. Um, and it's just a big jump, which is not really related to anything, um, you know, and, and, and still be a successful horror movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think I guess, it's, it's ahead, kind Matthew. of a tonal question. Yeah. Too. When it comes to this type of ending, this whole movie is kind of that that really close to reality kind of horror. And I don't mean that, you know, with the xenomorphs and the psychosis and the blobbity blobbity and Wilford Brimley swinging an axe. But nothing here other than the introduction of this strange beastie is out of the ordinary. It's a bunch of normal guys not even, you know, highly educated guys. Some of them are kind of thuggish. Even our main character is just kind of a guy. He's your your man in the street. He's the pilot. He's not a genius. He's not super doctor. He's not trying to fix this. He's trying to live. And throughout this, we have that level of heightened, slightly heightened reality, getting to the end and having them all die, but not let the creature get away kind of works for me. And I think it works with the tone of the film in that it's bleak, but it's not like completely without hope, which is kind of what I got from the dog running away ending. Mm -hmm. I guess for me, when I look at horror movies, it depends on 
um, what the uh, what the antagonist is. If the antagonist is something, someone evil like Michael Myers, then obviously I want the hero mm-hmm. to win. I want mm-hmm. the protagonist to win in the end. If it is something where, um, in this case, the thing, the thing isn't inherently evil, right? I mean, it's in itself is trying to survive, right? And you, you one right. could think of invading species, like what happens when you bring the kudzu down into uh, into uh, the south, and what happens there. Eh, kudzu isn't inherently evil; it's just doing its thing. And so, in this case, the thing is doing its thing. And so, in this case, I'm okay with everybody dying. Um. Very rarely do I root for the bad guy to win in the end. Um, you know, unless you're trying to go with a Freddy Krueger and, and set up that it's really all just nightmares and, you know, everybody has nightmares. So, you know, at the end of that, you're always going to have a Freddy Krueger moment. That might be the only time that I can really get behind the idea of the villain or the antagonist winning in that case. So I guess it does depend on how you're approaching your story, your horror story, what, mm-hmm. you know, what uh, mode you're trying to tell. And maybe the intent of your antagonist uh, in the piece. Well, Freddy Krueger is almost a villain protagonist in you know some of the sequels. Well, one He's you know you can almost of look the at point Freddy, of the some of the. You could also look at Freddy Krueger as um, someone who's out for revenge, like the Punisher. You mm-hmm. know, you killed me. Uh, granted, Freddy yeah. Krueger was uh, being accused of being a child molester, um, and the parents went right. and killed him. Um, and he's just taking his revenge that way. Um, I don't know. I, you know, for me, what's really fascinating about the thing is that it is can be looked at as a um, metaphor for other things that are going on in the time period. So the thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, actually has its roots in the 1930s in um, – in what what magazine is this? Astounding, uh, astounding, astounding science fiction from 1938. Um, a book written by, uh, by John W. Campbell Jr. The book or the short story is called "Who Goes There," and it is this story that we see. In fact, um, of all of the adaptations of "Who Goes There," John Carpenter's "The Thing" is the most faithful adaptation of that. In which case, everybody dies at the end. There was a movie made in the 1950s, 1951. Uh, called uh, The Thing – what is it called? Thing from Another World. Thing from Another World. So in A Thing from Another World, this is in the 1950s, 1951, I think. Right, Zach, is when that came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've only seen yep. it once and it was like late, late at night probably with uh, Uncle Ed um, on on uh, Channel 41. <laughs> so I would have been like 12, 14 years All old. All night live. Well, I, yeah. So um, in – the thing from another world, the thing, because we don't know who is infected, who mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. who they say they are, who they claim to be. This becomes a great movie of and even in the 1980s, you can still see this um, kind of carry forward in a lot of the themes of we don't know who the bad guy is. And in the 1950s and even in the 1980s, the bad guy is the Russians. Sure. And so you can look at the movies oh, yeah. of the 1950s, like The Invasion of the Body Snatchers, um, uh, Thing from Another World, uh, 1980s thing, as Red Scare movies. These movies of you have to be vigilant because you don't know if your next door neighbor is actually a commie in disguise plotting to overthrow the world or 
you know, whatever they are. Oh, yeah, I mean, Invaders so, from Mars, another great and movie. And like we that. almost, we saw the same th- yeah. uh, theme in M, where mm-hmm. you don't know that if that next person is, is a the child, child molester. molester. In, in this case, it's a little bit more yeah. uh, nefarious in uh, The Thing from Another World and here in The Thing, because you could have known someone for years. Sure. And suddenly overnight, they are not who they, they say they are, because yeah. they've been gotten by that by those commies, those mm-hmm. communists. And so even in 1982, mm-hmm. knowing what's going on in the world, this movie still resonates a lot as a Red Scare movie, even though it's a sci-fi horror movie. Yeah. And I, I find that fascinating. I, I find the Red, the red yeah. Scare movies just fascinate me all the heck because, like I said, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is another great one. Um, Invaders from Mars, yeah. uh, the black and white version of Invaders from Nar- Mars, not yeah. the color version. Um, just fantastic. Right. Um you know, uh, warning stories or, mm-hmm. you know, be aware mm-hmm. stories of, of yeah. what's going on. I, 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 uh, I, I enjoy that, that uh, form of story also, because I think it, it really is, and not just Red Scare, but, uh, anything almost in our, in our world now, and probably for the last couple of decades, and when I wasn't alive is that you don't know who everyone is. And that mm-hmm. person that you think is nice, uh, might not be the best person in the world. I mean, we saw that in Kansas when, um, they found the BTK killer. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I knew him. That's not the mm-hmm. person he seemed like. Yeah. And there's always this inherent uh, fear that is kind of just being built in uh, more and more to each generation of uh, we don't know who the horrible person is. Well, and I think that's yeah. I think that and, and Rodrigo may have a different thought on this, but I think that's why this movie works so well is because it's playing on your fear of the unknown. You don't know what's going on mm-hmm. next. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't know who's going to be overtaken next. And the the 80s were a really interesting time in terms of that because a lot of the Red Scare was back and it was oh, no, bigger I mean, than it, ever. It never, I mean, it never died. The thing – but it was more – it was even more heightened in the beginning of the 1980s oh, sure. going into you know the, the Reagan, Reagan administration. Mm-hmm. They remade the thing. They remade the blob. They remade Invaders from Mars and all of those movies – had the same resonance in 1982, 83, 84 than they did in 1951 to 1953. They were taking those same things because it had kind of come back around in the political arena. And it's fascinating to me to look at the original. I remember the original almost better than I remember this one. And the reason is I stole one of my catchphrases from the original. The original ends with watch the skies, keep watching the skies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I say that I literally say that all the time, although I may not say it on a show to where you can verify it. But I'm sure if you go to major spoilers, you can find me saying watch the skies if you pay attention. And I think that when you get into that cycle, it's interesting to me that it came around yet again a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So they attempted to make a prequel to the thing, telling the story from the Norwegian's point of view, because, you know, they go to the Norwegian camp. It's all burned out. Um, They find this thing. They find the spaceship. They find this hole where the alien was. They um, find videotapes. And so in 2011, they attempted to do a prequel movie of this is what happened from the Norwegian side, but it ended up kind of just being a remake of the thing which well, I mean, it has to be I mean, yeah. the, the, the the story of the norwegian camp is only different besides the american camp because 
a couple of guys end up getting away to chase the thing down and then mm-hmm. are just are killed chase, chase by dog, chasing yeah. the thing down. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really the only difference, I would assume, because that's the th- what the thing does. Yeah, exactly. So it's that's actually movie. how the, the 2011 movie ends. It ends it, with the two guys who show up in the in the camp in the 82 version shooting at the dog. It ends with the dog running away from the Norwegian mm-hmm. camp. And that's what I thought. I was like in the middle of watching this. I was like, oh, that would be a cool thing to explore. I wonder if that's what the thing does. And then I, the more I got into the movie, I was like, it would still be the same movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah, because it's they a repeating would just pattern. Norwegian. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm, I'm sure they probably don't. Well, and in we the also remake. know that they die. Well, the yeah. protagonist in um, um, the thing prequel, which is also called the thing, uh, is <laughs> right. an American scientist who's embedded in the Norwegian camp. Oh, that helps. Yeah, uh, of course. Ramona Flowers, and she's a female. It's Ramona Flowers from Scott Pilgrim. Oh, oh really? Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Have I you like seen? Her. Have you seen the 2011? Because that's the one I haven't seen yet. I've, I went ahead and, and made a purchase of it, of it so I could really compare and see. And the weird thing is, if you look at if you look at the John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982, it's got like a Rotten Tomatoes rating of like 85, 87, something like that. Then you look at The Thing 2011, and it's got like a 29% rating. Oh, sure. And it's like, that's fascinating that basically the same movie, the same themes, same beats has that much of a different reaction. And I want to watch it to find out. Well, I think you know how bad, how different it is. From, there might from be the a, a an air in critics of stop remaking things. Mm-hmm. We will downgrade you. Mm-hmm. Could be. That probably might play into a little bit also. That could be it as well. Um, did you pay attention to who was doing the music for this movie? A composer. A composer. Correct, Zach. <laughs> yes, nailed it. D Yay. for uh, detention after this episode's over. <laughs> no, it's... Um, you can't detention. Ennio Morricone. Exactly. This, and if you don't recognize that name, you should, because you paid attention to his music in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Oh, very nice. And I, wow, you know, wow, I, wasn't really wow. paying, I wasn't really paying attention to that in the piece until the end. I was like, oh, really? He did the music in this? This is really cool. But then I, then I had this realization that John Carpenter, especially in the 80s, loved doing his own soundtrack. He used to compose his own soundtracks hmm. in the 1980s. And so for him to go in this direction was a little bit different. Did you like it or not like it, Matthew? Oh, I loved it because I accidentally started it? running it. Oh, no. The music was absolutely the first yeah, like, thing I noticed. I started running it by accident while I was in another window on my new laptop. And I have my headsets on, as I always do, because I don't want the child to hear what's going on on my computer for various reasons. But I heard the the opening score, the opening strains of the movie where it's like, boom. Like, what the heck is that? I thought I had something open. And I listened for, you know, like 30, 40 seconds to the beginning of the film without actually seeing it. And it really kind of gave me this feeling of this is freaky, a dreadful sort of premonition. And then I actually sat and watched the film and it made it so much more terrifying, mm-hmm. especially at the end when it comes back in. It's like a heartbeat of some horrible alien creature who wants to eat me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the score was uh, – I really like the score. It was good. Uh, good. It was good. It's a good score. So yeah. – 
Why don't we give a quick shout out here? Oh, kind of lost my train of thought okay. here where we're going. So maybe hey, it'll, it'll come back when we give that. our uh, credits let's, to our associate producers. Let's uh, shout out to them, associate producers, and for all they do for us. And they would be Robert Taylor, Colin Princip, Andrew Fry, Scott Santos, Low Joe Ryder Works. Awesome. Robert Carter, <laughs> Darius Malloy, Andreas Ditch. Sorry. Uh, George White, Matthew Jones, Aaron Stafford, William Place, Matthew Bach, and Ian Lennington. You are all awesome, and yeah, thank all you for donating to the Major Spoilers cause and keeping us going week after week. You are the coolest. Uh, did you like the fact that the uh, one of the black characters wasn't the first one to die? Yes. I mean, that's typically what See, happens, right? See, I think right? that... that- that cliche didn't come into play until after this movie was already done. Oh, really? I think, yeah, I think that's a cliche that came in with uh, the spate of horror and horror remakes in the 90s. Is yeah, the black guy I think that is much more of like a very late 80s, early 90s deal. Because Alien didn't do it either, did it? But yeah, I did. No, I did uh, like John the fact Hurt's character that, yeah. dies first in that movie. Yeah. When you're watching this film, this is a whole film filled with Hey, it's that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All 12 of the main characters in this film are, hey, it's that guy. And I, I really enjoy that interaction of, you know, Goliath and, and uh, Wilford Brimley and the guy, uh, T.K. Carter, I, on his roller skates mm-hmm. throughout that whole thing. The guy who plays um, Palmer, the, the crazy burnout, mm-hmm. he grew up to be the the terrible yuppie guy from 30-something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Took me half the movie to figure that out because he's sitting there. He's like, wow, man, I'm a hippie burnout. And I'm going to die from a, the, the thing, man. And by the way, his death scene is the most terrifying thing ever. Which one? Ever. Is that when he oh. gets half his body his death scene there, in there? Where they're all tied to the couch. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah and they're yeah, testing yeah. the blood. Yeah. And they test his blood and they cut to him and he's sitting there and he's completely passive. And then he starts to shake. Oh, God, that's yeah, horrifying. Keith David shrieking. Oh, get, let me out of here, man. Oh, God. <laughs> Did, um, someone's taking half the show, so I'm going to talk a little uh, technical stuff. Okay, go ahead. Um, that scene where they're testing the blood. Yeah. So they find the first host person and he dies. Mm-hmm. From that point on, and in tinges before there, did the editing kind of feel like this is supposed to be a little bit funny because to me when they test uh especially the edit between like keith david's blood and they, then they test the old man with the revolver's blood the way they cut from we test we test keith david's blood he's fine and then they cut to all three of them standing there with like flamethrowers pointing at this old dude <laughs> i felt like that was a really kind of a humorous form of an editing where you just yeah. kind of keep I don't, stacking I don't think humans against people. I don't think it's supposed to be funny, but I, actually that's that's a good observation, Zach, because the smash cut, which uh-huh. that kind of is, yeah, it is, um, has come to be a big comedic thing, even though it wasn't always. So mm-hmm. we are used to the smash code to tell to the smash cut to tell a right. joke. So when it cut. Yeah, back it back in the day when they were using it just for you know to to show this like sudden passage of time, um, even in a even in a dramatic context, we see it as funny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I actually thought that's a that's a good assumption because it is a moment where we're really tense, we're really tense, and each time the wire goes into the blood, there's a little relief of that tension. And I did feel kind of a ha, ah, and then he's like, "Okay." And then we cut to windows with the flamethrower. You're okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's definitely I can see how that's definitely there, and I don't know if I would say that it's necessarily humor, but it's definitely a lightening of the tone. To where you can go, okay, okay, we can relax, we can relax. Clearly, the rest of these guys can't be the thing because we haven't seen anything that makes us think that they're the, oh, my God, we're all going to yeah. die. Yeah, I think Rodrigo you know, and it, certainly hit on it with the, it's what it is now in comedy because it's kind of like, yeah, the, the, it's like a reveal in a comedy that smash cut to the ever-increasing odds yep. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I like that because it does, I, I, and I, I don't think it's intentional. But it does kind of quickly break the a little bit of the tension where now one side is winning against the other. Mm-hmm. It keeps relieving the tension, but then it puts it at a point where it's so much worse when the tension comes back in. And I think that's an intentional decision on the, the director's part is we're lightening the mood. We're lightening the mood. It, it even feels like that scene gets brighter as each guy gets untied and mm-hmm. less oppressive. And then we get to the point where, no, it's not less oppressive. It's more horrifying than it was before. Oh, my God, we're all going to die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's masterful, that, that breakdown. And I, I think that's – that may be the most brilliant thing Zach has said on this show. <laughs> okay. Because I did not – seriously, I did not realize it until he said that. But that is 100% true, and it's brilliant. That's really incisive commentary well, there, brother. Well, thank you. There you go, Zach. Put a pin in my lapel. Um, so what about the effects? More tentacle uh, more tentacle love here. What would you think of all the effects work in this? Um, it was fascinatingly horrifying mm. <laughs> and horrifyingly good. It was so it isn't it didn't the movie didn't seem dated at no, all. No, it no, no, seemed no. like it would be a passable yeah. movie. Besides kind of the stop man, it wouldn't be stop motion. In fact, none of it would look like this really at all if it was done today. But it totally holds up. And it was like the makeup work is insane. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I agree with you there. Um, I'm sorry. I'm kind of out of it here for a minute. I'm actually trying to find my app uh, for Cinefix Magazine. I don't know what happened to it. So Cinefix Magazine is one of these great magazines that if you are into true special effects, there's a couple of really good magazines depending on, you know, which area that you're moving into. But if you're really into special effects, Cinefix is – it comes out quarterly now. It used to come out like every other month Mm -hmm. um, several years ago, but they've they've fallen on hard times. But what they've done is some of these Cinefix magazines are so sought after that there was a Kickstarter project a few years ago, uh, maybe last year. Where they um, went in and scanned and digitized all these old issues so that people could have access to see what was going on. And I do know that one of the issues is the thing. And I've been trying to find it because it goes into really great detail on on a lot of the effects that went into that. Mm -hmm. So that's a good book to read if you're into um, effects work, especially if you're into... Uh, uh, practical effects, yeah. uh, explosions, stop motion photography, uh, trick photography, like what we see with the uh, with the blood test, where you can obviously tell it's a fake Kurt Russell hand in the foreground, uh, and then when he puts the the hot wire in the 
you know, the alien pops mm-hmm. out and runs around. Goes yeah. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a great jump moment. And a lot of them, a lot of the recent ones, have, especially when the, the big Marvel movies come out, it's a lot of visual effects and a lot, a lot of CG, of, yeah, a lot of computer CGI. graphics so stuff. If you're really into that, it's a it's a really awesome magazine to check out. Well, it's on here somehow, and I don't know how I've not been seeing it <laughs> sitting here in front of me. Um, I will yeah. say, as an old dude who saw this originally, I feel like the effects surprised me with how well they had aged. Because I remember thinking, you know, and granted, this is 14-year-old me who was a douche. But I remember thinking, oh, that looks spiky. But watching it today, I'm like, this has aged a lot better than some of the things of the same vintage or even, you know, newer things. I don't quite have as good of effects as you see in this movie. So that was pretty impressive to me. So a couple of movies, this could have probably been a really big movie to come out in 1982. The only problem was there were two other movies that came out and really stole the horror scariness factor uh, from the thing. One of them being a little movie from a guy named Steven Spielberg called Poltergeist. And, uh, Mm. That in itself is poultry a geist. yeah poultry geist. It's about chickens. They buried the chickens in the wrong place and ah! didn't. Uh, you move the graves, but you didn't move the chickens. Exactly. Um, so then the other movie that came out in that same time period was another Steven Spielberg movie called E.T., which gave us a different look at extraterrestrial life. Who's not here to kill us and murder <laughs> us and eat our bodies. Just our Reese's Pieces. Yes, just our Reese's Pieces. Uh, we just kind of didn't give him enough time. Yes. <laughs> we assumed he was nice. Yeah, I can't find the, the effects issue now. Maybe it wasn't in... Maybe I'm not going back far enough. Ah, emotional roller coaster. I know it is. I know, yeah. right? It's like, I'm up, I'm down, is what am I going to do? Isn't it I did there? find the, uh, the Cinefix magazine for Raiders of the Lost Ark, so... There you go. Downloading that one now. That's why he's distracted. Yep. So now this movie uh, was is a real who's who of practical effects. Mm-hmm. Um, my my two favorite uh, returning cast members are upside down shot, mm-hmm. and really the MVP of this movie uh, reversed footage. Yeah, that's how you get. Your, <laughs> yes. that's how you get your a tentacles lot- to wrap around. As you wrap the yep, tentacle around, exactly, exactly. Then you run, then you run the film forward, and you pull the tentacle mm-hmm. out of the shot. Then you reverse it, and the tentacle comes in and wraps around. So there's a cool. You can do that in video now, Zach. Yeah, man. Just wrap the garden hose around you, and then uh, have your your fiance pull it so that it unwinds, and then you put that in your little edit system, play it mm-hmm. backwards, and suddenly the garden hose has come alive, ah! and people are at home watching and worried about you because why is Zach doing <laughs> yard work? Yeah, especially when I don't have to under my rental agreement. <laughs> uh, what what things did you pick up from this from this movie? Uh, what what, did you, what what are your takeaways? Uh, the use of lighting. Okay, what did you learn about the lighting? Awesome that Antarctica is blue. Yeah, um, you get a lot of blue tones at night, and those were um, very heavily used throughout. Which. Uh, Kind of added to the creepiness because blue kind of is a color that creates a lot of dark shadowy images and then uh, you can hide stuff in it a lot. So mm-hmm. that's good. And then you throw in the uh, the, the flare of red mm-hmm. and you get some very uh, interesting oh, oh. 
color contrasting. Yeah. Yeah. And um, your images can look really cool if you just throw in a little bit of smoke, a little little atmospheric stuff in there. You get that Mm -hmm. little uh, spreading of the light. Mm Mm-hmm. Get done nice with those flares images. works yeah, yeah, really yeah. well yeah and i actually having a lot of smoke covers over a lot of the impurities of your your film mm-hmm. you know if there's a bad part of your set yep. something's not detailed smoke it up fog it up whatever you have to do and suddenly it blurs it out enough to where you don't see it yeah um or if you are trying to call attention to a certain area of the scene and not another area of the scene light it up or smoke it up and that will um that will draw the viewer's attention to those areas so yeah, some good things there. Which, which I think uh, oh, go ahead. also it also brings up uh, um, an important point, uh, which is that um, there are a few shots in this movie where because there's so much, so many reflective surfaces around, you mm-hmm. can actually kind of see the camera mm-hmm. or the camera person moving around. Um, it is oh. it's subtle, but I, I think the most obvious one is um, there's a shot. That is like a very low angle shot where you see the dog come around the corner and you can see on the steel fridge, um, you can see like kind of the shadow or the shape of the camera person. <laughs> and like at first I thought that was going to be the dog. I thought we were under the dog's point of view and then the dog comes around the corner. So there's a few instances where like that is. So as a filmmaker, that's the sort of thing that you have to really keep under control. Yeah. If you look yeah. at uh, if you look at a lot of the movies from the 70s and early 80s where you really had to pump a lot of light into your scene and they do one of those low car passing by shots, especially if the car is polished up, you can see the entire crew just <laughs> reflected in the hubcaps and in the side paneling of the car. Awesome. Uh, it, it's always a, a big it's called dis- the American graffiti effect. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, so what's another takeaway that you got? Um, I would I would like to get some some input from you guys on this. Okay. But um, let's say we cut out that UFO scene at the very beginning. Oh, at the very beginning. So it seems unnecessary. Okay, so here's the other thing. When I watch this, the first several times that I've watched it, I've always missed out on the UFO coming in, mm-hmm. and so I always thought that the UFO coming in was added much later as part of an anniversary or edition or something. Because you're absolutely right. Because they explain that there's this UFO that must have crashed tens of thousands of years ago, you don't need that shot at the beginning. No, you don't. And I so think, I agree with you. And then I did some more thinking, and I was like, if you cut that shot out, and I think if you film a few things different ways, and you kind of uh, edit it just a bit different, take out some shots, do you think you could make this movie into Kurt Russell's character has gone crazy from being isolated in Antarctica <laughs> and the aliens yes. in all in his mind. Cause they talk a yes. lot about when the Norwegian, you would have they, to, the Norwegian, would have they to, say, Oh, they gone stir crazy. You would have to cut out all of the reaction shots from everyone else. It, it would, it would, yeah, I, it would be very difficult. It would actually be very difficult. The way that if you were, yeah, if you were only using the shots that you have, yeah, it would be difficult because um, what I was talking about earlier is that they're not very consistent in what like kind of the rules of it or, or, or even if they are consistent, um, the rules of the, the creature are kind of sloppy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it, it like it infects you and then a monster grows out of you and then that monster copies you and the husk is left behind. It's kind of what it does. It's kind of like this very complicated uh process and usually we're catching the critter mid husk mm-hmm. um, 
different people see the creature at different times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, different people are exposed to the creature at different times. So I think if you started cutting out everything that wasn't from Kurt Russell's point of view, where the creature was at, you would actually end up with a surprisingly small amount of monster. Yeah. So okay. it would be an interesting take on I really that. Like, I, really like when, I really like when people are like, um, in the movie, are like, oh, it could be any of us. And then they immediately scatter and go to different rooms and lose completely lose yeah. track of each uh, other. Everybody break uh, up over, and come back in 20 minutes. <laughs> We could, yeah. we could, it could happen from a single cell person I'm touching. And it's like, well, <laughs> what's the point? You should just yeah. set all of yourselves on fire. Just set everything right. on fire right now. Get it over with. There is no way any, by the rules that you've established yourself, <laughs> there's no way that all of you are not infected. And at the end, when they blow it up and bits and gobbits of it go everywhere, did they not 20 minutes, 20 minutes earlier had the scene where the blood reformed yes, into yeah. a creature. Mm-hmm, yes. mm-hmm. Not only okay. that, yeah. <laughs> not only that, but they're like, the creature's trying to get back to the ice so that it can like freeze itself. Let's blow it up and send lots of little chunklets of it <laughs> into the ice. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And also, when we have the whole thing, they're like, we need to burn it. We got to burn it. We burned the first one and it came back to life. Well, they didn't burn it well enough. They do establish that. They do talk okay. about them not having burnt it well enough. They did. <laughs> it wasn't well done. It was only medium yes, well. That's right. If they there's a little bit, back. if there's a little bit of pink, then uh, then the creature can reform, and you get right, salmonella. Out, out of salmonella. Who was, by the way, in East of Eden? He played Plato. So another <laughs> another magazine that people might want to check out is if you are into true director of photography stuff, true cinematography. The other book that the other magazine that I really like is American Cinematographer because it really goes into the craft of how was this scene lit? What was the approach that the cinematographer took to lighting this scene to working in this environment? If you haven't picked any of those issues up, Zach, um, there is an app um, in the iTunes store in the newsstand, and then you can buy the issues individually. I think I have a preview of one. Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good. uh, It goes all the way back to 2007, so you're not going to find anything before that. But darn. Um, it's a, it's a good, it's a good magazine to pick up. Cool. cool. Any cool. other takeaways? Um, no, that's pretty much it. Scare people. People like it. Um, and I, what did the uh, fiance think of this movie? Uh, she did not watch this movie. What? Um, this well, is the I kind mean, of movie uh, you want to so have <laughs> your, why didn't yeah, she? Yeah, yeah. Well, our, one, our schedules didn't mesh up. And so I had to watch it by myself Two. Not a chance in the world she would have watched this. And if I, if I would have been like, oh, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. This isn't a scary movie because I really didn't know uh, mm-hmm. that much about going this yeah. in. If I would have, well, if she would have watched up to the point where the dog starts transmogrifying, yeah. we, our relationship might have been on, on, the, on the rocks. Why? Because she would have been horrified and very well, mad at me. She wouldn't have jumped into your arms. The problem is no. you should you shouldn't have said to her, honey, I need you to come over tonight and take a look at my thing. Oh. <laughs> you, that right there was your wrong. first mistake. Yeah. Yeah. See, I've been married for 19 years next week, and I'll tell you. Yeah. I right. really, I, I think the definitely the prequel was a missed opportunity because they could have called it the previous thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or and another thing. Yeah, and then you can make <laughs> yeah. a, a sequel that's another thing. And then another um, one called One More Thing. 
or or yeah or like yeah even if you have like the aliens come back and they're looking for the thing and the thing is not on it you can call that another thing because it is another thing right and then you could have one where it seems like there's a thing you could call it is this a thing <laughs> yeah or or like or you could you could cast a tom hanks in it and call it that thing you do yeah <laughs> see or you can have the movie underwritten by Apple, and it could be called One More Thing. Oh, there you go. You could you could cross over with the Fantastic Four and call it the Thing Thing. <laughs> yes, yeah. you could. See, so Zach, what are you going to do? That's where How we are you going to apply anything that you learned from this? I, this is your. Is this your only exposure to John Carpenter? Yes. Haven't we done Big Trouble in Little China on this show? No. No. no, we've talked so. about it many no, times not. before because oh. I, I love it and I won't shut up about it. Right. But we've never made Zach watch. Oh, that may be no. why. Yes. No, no, no. I have not watched. Make him watch anything it. Anything else. It's on Netflix now. Tell him he has to watch it. You have to watch it. Okay. But sure. we won't talk about it in this, uh, <laughs> this Dead show. Comment. In this show. Uh, what did I learn? I learned that um, practical lighting is still really cool. Mm-hmm. And I like it a lot. And that um, horror is a genre that you don't have to. Eh, this is going to sound horrible. I don't think you have to be able to develop your character as much if you're just going uh, to scare some people. Well, yeah. I mean, look at uh, what's his name? Skates or whatever the guy's name was. Uh, the roller skate guy. Or any character in this. Originally, movie. he was supposed to be a uh, Hispanic guy. Supposed to be called Sanchez was supposed to be his original name. Um, you're right. He gets zero character development. The guy who, uh, the overweight guy who blows up, you know, and whose head falls off and crawls mm-hmm. away. There's no character development on him, and none of the characters really, get. Yeah. No. The only the character characters development get. he gets is that he doesn't want to be the boss. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So they're quick sketches. I mean, even even mm-hmm. Mac doesn't get a whole lot of character. No, he really no, doesn't. No, you know nothing. Mac about is him. you know, like I also, like drinking. He hates that's that true. computer. You know what I like chess. the least about that movie? Max what? ridiculous hat. Oh, I love that. Yeah, hat. I, know that's awesome. I so want a hat, hat like that. So, listeners, if you guys can get me a hat like that, maybe you can go over to Amazon.com <laughs> I was, through the major spoilers link. Maybe they sell that hat. I want that hat. I would I would like to yeah, see you. Not, I did not you, remember I did not remember that hat from the first time I saw it. <laughs> and um watching it, like I didn't know that it was him. Yeah, and I yeah. was like, which character is this? I do not remember. Somebody with a an absolutely ludicrous, like seventeen feet across brimmed hat, <laughs> and it's like, oh, oh, it's the main character. I forgot about this. I he walks over the hill, and I'm like, wow, he's thinking Arby's. I would like to see you wear that uh, all the way to drive to Nerdtacular. Uh, if someone will get me that hat before Nerdtacular, I will wear it not only on the drive but during uh, this thing that uh, is going to occur at Nerdtacular. Let's anyone who can find that hat, I will give you 1.5 times the price of the hat up to $35 to <laughs> not give him that hat. That I hat will... has to be expensive. I mean, if it's actually a well put together hat, oh, I mean, yeah. that is an entire cow's worth of leather. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt Russell's hat from the, oh, this is actually autofill. As soon as I put Kurt Russell's hat, it <laughs> auto-filled from the thing. How many hats do you really need besides that hat, though? Uh, it's called the RJ by Baron Hats. 
And it is. And it is. Order the hat now. It is 100% Western weight fur felt, uh, 200 times beaver. I don't know what that means. Beaver. A lot of beaver in this hat. But it's got a seven inch elongated (laughs) mountain peak. The brim is four and a half, four side boxed and flutter squared. I don't care about any of this. Uh, let's see. The price is fifteen hundred dollars. Really filthy. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's see. Let's start a Kickstarter. You know, it's fifteen hundred dollars. What? Choose one payment of fifteen hundred dollars for a hundred percent fur felt, fur felt, or twenty one hundred dollars for a two hundred times one hundred percent beaver hat. Guys, fifteen hundred dollars. We could raise this. All Stephen could wear a beaver on his head. Yep. Four easily if monthly. If you buy four a monthly hat, payments, I will shoot you on principle. Four easy <laughs> monthly payments of three hundred and seventy-five dollars. <laughs> PayPal is not ex- accepted. Oh well, that's a deal breaker. Oh, I like my secure payments. Fifteen hundred dollars for a hat. Just think, you buy we, a minivan and live in it. We could have Stephen. We could buy it. Have Stephen wear it. Send it to Pharrell. He'll wear go. it to an award show. He'll sell it to Arby's. Yep. We'll get a cut of it. Each order includes awesome. a genuine factory-sealed copy of the film. Oh, wow. So this is a reproduction. This isn't the actual actual hat hat, well, but sure. $2,100 for a beaver hat. Well, of course not. That hat was eaten by Wilford Brimley. <laughs> and that's how he got diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> too, much, the, uh, too much beaver the only fur. Thing more, yeah, the only thing more expensive than that hat is uh, Kurt Russell's mustache from Tombstone. <laughs> It too is a hundred percent two hundred yeah, times beaver. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Carpenter and Russell discussed that McGreedy was likely a Vietnam veteran, an alcoholic, and a true loner—a character who never wanted to assume leadership, but was forced to by circumstance. A chagrined Russell said the hat was already established when he came on board. Wow. Yep. The hat so he didn't, he didn't want the hat. Yep. When the man who played the computer who wore tennis shoes doesn't want the hat, the hat is a bad character decision. Oh, no, that was an awesome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you when I saw that hat being put on, I thought that was that is something that you would see a crazy character from MASH wearing as he's piloting oh, the helicopter <laughs> out of the uh, out, out of the scene. I think the hat was a uh, was an awesome thing. Here's another one. Oh, somebody else is looking for the hat. <laughs> But yes, twenty one hundred bucks if you want to get the no, fifteen hundred. Uh, no, that's for the beaver hat is twenty one hundred. Just the fur felt is uh fifteen hundred. Good God. Yeah. Yeah. This whole conversation is loaded with innuendo. That's all yeah. I want to say. You're an innuendo. Yeah, Kurt Russell. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so no, okay, Russ. now here we go. Here we go. There's another one. Money is expensive. There's another one sold by the lastbestwest.com. Classic cowboy hats is where it is. The lastbestwest.com. Oh, lastbestwestern. The thing from the thing. You can get it in four different styles. The four times fur felt is only $370. The hundred times beaver oh is $725. So you don't have to pay the $2,100, but you also don't get the certificate of authenticity, nor do you get the uh, handcraftedness of the hat, nor do you get the factory sealed mm. copy of the thing. Right. You only get 100 times beaver, not 200 times. Yes. <laughs> that's like half the beaver. And right there, you know, that's that, clearly the difference between spending an insane amount of money and spending a stupidly insane amount of money. I don't know if that's stupidly insane. 
You can get that an, is for you a can hat. get an Artemis Gordon hat for uh, four hundred and seventy five bucks. Six hundred and eighty five bucks for a high end. I can get a cowboy end. hat at the Quick Shop down the road for a yeah, dollar ninety nine. You're not going to look as cool as you would I mean, if you, you were wearing a, good, a giant. I think hat. you can. You can get a good. You can get a good solid cowboy style hat or wide brimmed hat for like a hundred bucks. Yeah. Like if you want like a hat that's actually going to last and it's good and it'll stay and then, you know, it's an actual like working hat. I, you can get it for a reasonable price. I have put the challenge. For I have put the challenge out to our listeners. Somebody buys that hat oh, for God. me. I will wear it on the drive to Nerdtacular. <laughs> and I've got a couple GoPros, Zach. There's something oh, going on on our drive to Nerdtacular this year. Oh, uh, we're going to see do, wear that hat. We're going to. See if Rob can eat a whole pack of Skittles in one second. He probably could. I did that one time. Rob? Rob can eat a pack of Skittles and half a pizza. <laughs> All right. Uh, how did uh, Young Zach do this week, uh, Rodrigo? I thought he did well. Um, he kept an eye on um, formal elements. He had an eye on themes and he had another weird eye growing out of his neck on um, kind of horror tropes. And it kept so, saying diabetes. Yeah, so diabetes. I, I'd say he actually did really well. I would uh, definitely pass him. I would say, you know, Zach, your, uh, your um, assessment of color is very good. Mm -hmm. I would say... When you go back and watch the thing, think about what different colors mean um, because there are abrupt changes in color in different places. Mm. And also, you know, you kind of have like, uh, what does fire mean in this instance? Because um, obviously, anytime there's a flamethrower, things change drastically. So apply that color to fire and to like the sudden changes in color. And I think you can construct a very good reading of this movie. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. I will do that. All right. Um, take us out of here. Oh, say. that's right. the end of this week's episode. Make sure you dot com to find that podcast posting page where you can give your thoughts on the thing or say how much money you will be pledging to buy the hat for Stephen to wear to Nerdtacular. I wonder if you could get that through Amazon.com. Probably. While you're there, might as well check when you're Amazon.com. Click that link. See if they have a giant uh, bur beaver felt hat to purchase for Stephen. Uh, it's not going to cost you any extra, but a little bit will come <laughs> back. Cost you twenty one hundred dollars. <laughs> a little bit will come back way. to uh, major spoilers to uh, keep all of our weird shenanigans going. So next week, I think we have a great show for you. We'll be talking Apocalypse Now on Tech on Film. 